Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Thursday, December the 30th, 2022. Not f- Thursday, Friday, December the 20th, uh, December the 30th, 2022. I'm getting so confused. We're so close and yet so far from 2023. This is the final show actually of the year. And as a, an uplifting, cheerful show, we're going to deal with gun violence. Of course, anything but cheerful is true on the gun violence front. Looking at the data for 2022, I've taken a piece from The Trace. The numbers are as horrifying as ever, if not more so. Um, almost 20,000 firearm deaths, excluding suicides in 2022. All these, of course, in the United States. Uh, over almost 72,000 federally licensed gun dealers, a 120% increase in a firearm suicide rate, uh, 4.7 million guns bought so far in 2022. This is from early December, so I'm guessing it be up to 15 million by the end of the year. 643 mass shootings in 2022. Uh, six uh, all over the country, mostly on the West Coast. Um, 332 people shot on K-12 school property in 2022. And over a 1,000 people shot and killed by the police. It's a, it's a horrifying statistic. Meanwhile, four states have repealed their concealed carry permit, permit uh, requirements for 2022. So... I'm guessing in 2023, things are going up. Uh, we, uh, for, on gun violence, uh, the guy I've spoken to in the past for the show, Frank Smythe, um, is the author of a book called The NRA, The NRA, The Unauthorized History. We talked to him earlier this year where he predicted the next three years could be the most violent in American history since Reconstruction. He may be right. He's joining us from... Um, Washington, D.C. today. Frank, uh, I was joking at the beginning about a cheerful subject. There's nothing less cheerful, is there? I don't know how you managed to survive as an expert on guns and gun violence. How do you do it? I think you have to pace yourself, and I think you have to um, recognize that whatever good you can do is not going to have an immediate effect, right? And I think everybody involved in trying to promote gun reform faces this conundrum because people have worked very hard to attempt to pass laws to reduce or to curb gun violence. And finally, this year, a law was finally passed. But at the same time, gun violence is going up to the point that it's now the leading cause of death of American children, unique in the developed world. And so I think you have to pace yourself and recognize that this is going to be a long struggle because anybody who doesn't get that is going to to burn out very quickly. So uh, those, that litany of numbers I, I read out at the beginning of the show are all deeply depressing. Are there, are there any good numbers? I mean, we're assuming, of course, that we're not in favor of people shooting one another. Is there anything good to report in 2022, Frank? Yes. Uh, and you might talk about the, the bill that's obviously important. Yes. Well, there was a, uh, the law passed in, uh, in June of this year was the first significant, even though there's still baby steps, but the first gun law, federal gun law of any consequence toward curbing 
uh, gun violence and regulating firearms uh, in nearly 30 years, right, since the uh, background check bill was passed. That's lasted. We also had um, uh, the assault weapons ban, which lasted only 10 years, and in the end, I believe, also backfired. But what it showed is that for the first time, the gun reform movement, at least in 30 years, was finally able to muster enough votes votes to be able to pass legislation, something that had not uh, happened in, in nearly three decades. Now, those steps are small. Background checks are now extend to not only people who are 21, but people who are between 18 and 21. It was absurd that an 18-year-old could buy a weapon without having to go through at least a cursory background check. And when we say a background check, we also have to recognize that in their current form, the background, the federal background check system is full of holes and, and has incomplete records, in addition to missing a lot of individuals, because it's up to states whether or not they wish to contribute records. And many, if not most states, do not, along with other uh, agencies like military services. But at the very least, there is some, some benefit to expanding the background check system to include people as young as 18. Uh, uh, to the degree that it that it that would apply, and, and just to be clear, um, uh, 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 Frank, this is uh, who this is this is a Biden bill, right? That's correct. It is a Biden bill, and the Biden administration deserves credit and can tell all its supporters in the gun reform movement we're the first administration in decades to finally do something. And whether they're small steps, they're still important steps. And this is signed in, in June, uh, on June 25th of this year, the, the safety right. bill. That's right. Um, and also, it, it makes it harder for domestic abusers to keep their weapons. And that's something that people have clamored for with good reason for a very long time. And finally, uh, there's some progress there, although it still needs to be stronger. So that's something. Yes, how, that's how did this get through? Was it because of... Um, the various school killings, Uvalde in particular? Yeah, I think that what we're finding, finally, is that Republicans who just say, I want gun rights and that's it, are finding that they may not get reelected. Finally, the reform movement is having some traction at the polls, which really didn't exist for a very long time in America. So that's a shift, but it's, it's a small shift. And it also means over the next two years, the Democrats, I think, have already all but conceded that they don't have the votes to pass any new legislation uh, before 2024. And so now we're in an interim period where Biden may have some initiatives. And if anything, the Democrats are going to be challenged in court to hang on to what they have and not lose ground in terms of, of gun reform over the next two years. And then in 2025, with a new Congress and a new president, it's possible that things could tilt, tilt in the Democrats' favor, but it's also possible that it may not. Exactly. So in other words, we have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, yeah. a lot of this is, isn't it dependent on whether or not some lunatic walks into a school and kills 50 children in the next well, couple of years? You know, it's unfortunate that it requires more carnage, more carnage of, of children in particular, like in Evalde and and 10 years ago in Sandy Hook to motivate people to do something about gun violence. But I think what's standing in the way is the NRA's ideology, something that I've focused on. And they've managed to convince a great many of their followers that the real threat to, to their liberty is the possibility of any form of gun registration. And they falsely claim that gun registration helped enable the Holocaust, right? This is a, a canard that they cooked up. 
but they make these claims and they seem to be widely believed. And you have people like Josh Hawley say, well, background checks is really just a backdoor to gun registration, so we have to oppose it. And Ted Cruz saying, well, uh, Biden's crackdown on ghost guns is really just another backdoor to gun registration, so we have to oppose that too. Now we've just had some some new new uh, steps. San Jose, California, as a municipality, has uh, decided they're going to charge uh, gun owners who live in San Jose who want to keep their weapons a fee. I think fifty dollars to keep their weapons a year, but that also requires registering the weapons, and that's the part that's going to be opposed. Very it's interesting, Frank, that you, you you mentioned what's happening in San Jose, just down the road from from me in San Francisco. We're seeing the same shift in power in America on the union front. We did a show about labor unions in 2022. Um, I guess suggesting that at the local level, things were changing with respect to laws about unions and the same about technology and privacy. Is this how politics is going to change that at the state and the local level, you're just going to see reforms because people will give up at the federal level? Yes, but there's also a limit to how far you can go at the state and local level, especially when we're dealing with guns, right? Because if you if you now in this country, if you live in a state that has restrictive gun laws, somebody from a state that has permissive gun laws can buy weapons, travel to the others to a state neighbor near them or down or, or elsewhere in the country and sell those weapons illegally on the black market. And that's a very easy thing to do, and a great many people do it, right? Three out of four mass shooters bought their guns legally before they committed their their mass crimes. And uh, in states like Chicago, up to 66% of guns that are seized by federal and state and local agents from crime scenes were purchased legally uh, outside of that state, in other states, states with more permissive gun laws. So having a, a register, this is a problem, right? So even if San Jose cracks down and has a requirement of a fee, and more importantly, they're requiring liability insurance, this is the kind of thing that I think uh, could catch on in the gun reform movement. It would be good. But I, in, in, the, in, the, in the San Jose case, what's been the response of the local police and the local politicians? We haven't even seen that yet because the mayor just rolled it out at a New York Times op-ed, I believe. Right. So we haven't even seen this is his plan. Right. So we haven't even seen it. But I think you're going to find some law enforcement uh, personnel who are very supportive and you're going to find more uh, uh, sheriffs, uh, more rural uh, law enforcement in more rural areas of the country are going to oppose it. But I think you're finding there's there are a great many law enforcement personnel who support gun reform, as you also saw after the Parkland shooting in Broward County when. Uh, uh, law enforcement chief there also spoke out in the need for gun reform. So that's another shift that's occurring. But what's working against all this, Andrew, is the Supreme Court decision that also came down this year, right? Which is uh, which expanded the the established this is the, the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. Right. This is this is a law that dates back to 1911, and it was the first major gun control law in any state, let alone in the, in the, in the nation or in the, for, by the federal government, which didn't, re, didn't really exist uh, uh, until that time. And, uh, and the NRA raised concerns about it, but was co comfortable with it until 
until recent decades. The Supreme Court has overruled uh, this gun law. And effectively, what they've said is that every citizen who's not a felon or uh, have some other uh, issue, criminal issue against them or has been deemed mentally ill, but every every law abiding citizen uh, should have the right to carry a concealed weapon uh, anywhere in the country. Right. This is a uh, I think this is a Pandora's box to to potentially more violence uh, in the nation and a problem of people carrying weapons, especially in 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 cities that are crowded. And there's already a fair amount of crime as well as illegal guns. Adding these these legal guns to the mix, I, I don't think is going to help. But we're certainly going to see uh, what the results are. That's something that the Supreme Court did. And what disturbs me even more than the decision they made is the way they made it. Because what they've done, they're looking in this, their decision, they looked at laws dating as far back as the days of King Henry VIII involving the first crude firearms, which are so crude, it's hard to even call them a firearm. But that's what the decision written by Clarence Thomas uh, did. And then it looked at Analog, analogical reasoning. This isn't the first case they've done this, but I think it's one of the most consequential where they're saying the question is, what was the intent at the time that the, the law was drafted and ratified and prior to, and whether or not there's analogy in the contemporary context that would indicate whether something should be, would, whether prohibiting something would fit was permissible back then in such a way that it would be permissible now. And it seems to me just like a way to make up whatever they want, right? Because that could be interpreted any, any which way. Why hasn't this case, Frank, the, um, the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, why hasn't it become as controversial or as well known as, as Roe versus Wade? Why, why do these issues escape mostly public? Because, because the Supreme Court released five of these decisions in rapid succession over a period of two to three weeks, uh, each of these of these major decisions, one of which was overturning Roe versus Wade, another of which uh, undermined the ability of agencies like the EPA to be able to administer uh, or to regulate, to develop their own scientific-based regulations for things like controlling pollution, saying if Congress didn't actually stipulate it in the law, it's not effective. So this is all a step backward. It's taking the United States back in time. And so all five of these decisions, the Roe versus Wade decision, rightly got most of the attention as it should going forward as well. But this gun decision is something that gun reformers have to take stock of because this has the potential to spread and undermine any efforts they could make because another Supreme Court decision could rule whatever the local municipalities do is, is, is allegedly unconstitutional, right? And I'm afraid we may start seeing those kinds of decisions. I think the fight over gun reform over the next two years, while Congress has got its hands tied, lacking the, the, the votes to pass anything, you're going to see, uh, a, I think, an increasing battle in the courts over gun reform versus gun rights or an absolutist vision of gun rights uh, in, in the country. Frank, uh, you wrote an interesting piece um, earlier this year for Politico. It's not that the NRA is powerful, you argue, it's creed is. And of course, this reflects your, your work on the NRA. Um, so what does that suggest? If it is indeed the creed of the NRA that's so powerful, 
should the focus be on dealing with that creed for those people who don't believe in it versus fighting the NRA? That is my view. And that's something that I've been arguing on Twitter and elsewhere. Uh, I think that, you know, the Democratic leadership has encouraged the gun reform movement to tread carefully, to uh, search for common ground with Republicans on gun reform. But Republicans in this day and age, MAGA Republicans, people like Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri and Senator Cruz from Texas, have used this attempt to find common ground to say every measure the Democrats want is really a backdoor to gun registration to disarm American citizens, take away their guns, leaving at them at the mercy of subjugation, if not tyranny, if not actual genocide, right? They don't necessarily carry that argument to its end, but when they're waving the flag about the risks of gun registration, which both Hawley and Ted Cruz have done and continue to do, that's what they're, that's what they're saying. What is this based on? This is based on, on a false uh, interpretation and a rewrite of the Holocaust, claiming that the Holocaust was enabled by gun control. This is a crock of crap, Andrew. There's no basis in it. And the NRA-funded scholar who made this claim was even asked to testify in 2017 in Congress. And the Anti-Defamation League came out and denounced the fact that this author, who they found to be whose writings to be dangerous and alarming was being given a platform. But so far, the gun reform community has decided not to touch it because it's too controversial. I submit that I think that is a mistake. You, you mentioned Hawley and Cruz a couple of times. Yeah. Why are they taking such extreme positions? Do they believe it or are they being funded by gun manufacturers? Oh, they it's it's uh, it's less about the gun manufacturers at this point. This is something that uh, they're going to get the money from from the National Shooting Sports Federation and from the NRA. They're going to get those donations, and those donations are important to their re-election campaigns. There's no doubt about that. But the voters in Missouri and the voters in Texas, at least those that vote Republican, have been convinced that, that gun registration is a threat to their freedom. So they know whether or not they believe it, Andrew, they know enough of their... But are they buying this Holocaust nonsense, or, or is it a just a general sense that you're safer with guns. The more guns you have, the safer you are. They, they, they rare that Holly and Cruz don't mention the Holocaust, but if you, if you look into what they mean by gun registration, that's what the NRA has been claiming for years now that it, that it's gun registration enabled the Holocaust and Holly and Cruz raised the, the specter and fear of gun registration as if everybody knows why that's dangerous. Everybody knows why we have to oppose that. And the Democrats and the gun reform people have chosen, well, let's not touch that. It's too controversial. Is it likely to become an issue in the next election? Where is, and I'm guessing DeSantis is very much in the Hawley Cruz camp. Where's DeSantis on, on guns? I mean, Trump is in their pocket or, or they're in his pocket. I'm not quite sure whose pocket's where. Well, DeSantis is very interesting because he's, he's a total gun rights absolutist, as are Hawley and Cruz. But Santis, his, DeSantis has also led the effort uh, in Texas, and he seems to— or In yeah, Florida. In Florida, you mean. Florida, and he seems to want to expand that to rewrite textbooks— to change the what we teach our own our own children about the history of slavery in the United States. And this ties in well with the gun lobby's propaganda, because in addition to falsely claiming that the Holocaust was enabled by gun control, uh, 
NRA leaders and NRA members, including Candace Owens and Alan West, two prominent African-American conservatives, each made the false claim in 2018 and West again in 2019 that the early NRA helped arm freed slaves after the Civil War during Reconstruction. And that's why the NRA was founded. And the NRA, that's why the NRA is really the oldest civil rights organization in the United States. This is another crock of crap, Andrew. Not a word of this is true. This is a fantasy, a Quentin Tarantino-like rewrite of history, but now uh, where white men with guns are the alleged heroes. And so far, Griot, right, Joyce Reed, who's on MSNBC, she's the only one that flagged at her, her network when Candace Owens first uh, raised Frank, it. Yeah, so much of American history, when you, you don't have to dig very deep, seems to be defined by race. Uh, prohibition, yeah. for example, most people were in favor of prohibition because they didn't want African-Americans drinking because they were fearful of them. Is the part point. of the, this obsession with privately arming oneself? Is it ultimately a race issue of white people wanting to protect themselves from peoples of different color skins? Race permeates everything uh, that, that every issue having to do with gun rights, right? It doesn't mean that, that all advocates of gun rights are racist by no means whatsoever, but racism permeates that debate. And that's why it's so important, this false claim that the early NRA helped arm freed slaves. Oh, wouldn't that be nice if the if white men with guns were the good guys in history, right? As opposed to the reality that white men in different forms have been using weapons to repress minorities since slavery and afterward, right? White, not only white men, but white men in white sheets very often. Ex ex exactly. But this rewrite of history, I think, is dangerous. I think progressives have been at fault to allow the rewrite of the Holocaust. But are there progress? I mean, leaving aside the Holocaust, Frank, are there progressives who buy any of this? I know I, I very few. I think there's very few that buy that buy into this at all. But it's so crazy and it's so sort of hard to get your head around that nobody wants to touch it. But the NRA and the gun lobby have done a very good job, and of course, the internet is has helped facilitate the spread of this propaganda. And you'll see people writing letters to the editors in newspapers saying, hey, you know, you don't know the NRA helped arm freed slaves. It's a totally, you know, it's a civil rights organization. Yeah, and next it'll saying, be, you know, gay people or transgendered people. Frank, yeah, almost 5 million new guns, uh, 15 million, excuse me, new guns were bought in 2022. What are people doing with these guns? Are these mostly... Assault weapons? They're not hunting guns, right? No, no. Well, they're mostly they're mostly handguns, and they're mostly hoarding them, right? Where I don't know. I don't know. Their, where are they keeping them? They're keeping them in their homes, right? Or keeping them? Perhaps they have a room in uh, a dry. Why? In case someone, yeah, someone yeah, uh, robs them, and they're going to shoot if them. Somebody robs them. I think there's there's the prepper movement in the United States, but I think there's a great many. You know. Gun sales in the United States spiked in 2020 after the start of the pandemic, but they spiked again after the murder in police custody of George. Why did they spike? Because, I mean, everyone stayed at home. Didn't crime go down during the well, pandemic? Because, the, the spec Black Lives Matter, the rise and spread okay. of Black Lives Matter yeah. protests terrified a great many conservative white people. Well, you had those 
that yeah. flabby white couple in St. Louis waving their weapons on their front lawn. Who were they? Well, right. And they were asked to speak at the next Republican National <laughs> Convention on the issue of gun rights when the NRA was seen as being a little yeah. too discredited for it. So Frank, I can laugh, but I, I mean, the only other opportunity, the only other alternative is crying. It's so depressing. So let's let's end on 2023. A lot of our I'm guessing most of our audience are horrified and opposed to most of this. What can we do? I mean, realistically, in 2023, you've been through so many cycles. We have to assume there'll be more mass killings and we have to assume that not much will change. What can people do? Well, I think people need to I think people need to register to vote if they haven't already. I think they need to plan on voting in every election that they are able to, whether they think it's important or not, including local elections. And I think people need to start organizing with groups like Everytown or Moms Demand or some of the other other groups, the Giffords organization. You can take your pick, right? There's several groups that have been quite effective and, and have managed to accomplish a lot, uh, including uh, initiatives around Sandy Hook and the Parkland shootings as well. And I think people need to organize and I think they need to, to be able to help organize people to vote and be able to canvass. I also think that people need to read up on the issue. This is something that our people are incredibly passionate about, yeah. yet they're reluctant to read new information. And now I think that I don't think that helps the gun reform movement. There used to be a feeling, you know, I came of age in the 70s and the early 80s, you know, know your enemy, right? Uh, learn your opponent, learn how they're thinking. Or at least your read your book, your unauthorized history of the NRA. Well, there's other there's other things out there, but get learn about this. I think that most gun reform activists in the United States don't even know the history of, of, of gun reform in this country and really a, a gun reform efforts over the past hundred years. Most people in this country don't realize that the United States has not passed a major national gun control law in over 50 years since the Gun Control Act of 1960. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've seen the new movie Babylon, which is a movie about the, the anarchy in Hollywood in the 1920s, but actually watching it and thinking about uh, a heavily armed America today, there isn't really much difference. Perhaps not. I haven't seen it, so I can't comment, but I, I do plan on seeing it. So I'll I mean, if Al Capone could come back to life, what would he think? <laughs> well, I think he'd be, I think he'd be, uh, he'd be very happy because he could get as many guns as he wants. You know, this is the other thing is we're also so many guns are produced every year in the United States and sold. We have the largest the world's largest retail gun market. So we're not only flooding our our states and our cities with with weapons, semi-automatic weapons of all kinds. Right. We're also many of these weapons are also trafficked out of the United States. I used to investigate arms trafficking for Human Rights Watch. And in this hemisphere, in Colombia, Central America, and Mexico, you saw a great many American-made weapons like AR-15s, where if you were looking at weapons in Africa, I saw a great many Kalashnikovs or Soviet-designed uh, AKM, uh, or uh, originally AK-47 rifles, right? This is, this is a, a problem that the United States is contributing to, and Mexico has filed suit now twice against the United States. And the United States being the United States, Andrew, we barely noticed. What? Mexico suing us? Who cares? Right? One more That's reason why America is so popular in Central and, and Latin America. 
Finally, Frank, let's try and end on some sort of positive note. You mentioned Parkland, which, of course, in any is is not in any way positive, but it did trigger, if that's the right word, a um, a youth movement. Is, is there any evidence of a a generational shift, or do these kids who all claim to have lived through all this gun violence, do they grow up and become gun owners themselves and forget about their youthful idealism? Well, remember, I'm a gun owner and I support gun reform. So being a gun owner shouldn't, shouldn't preclude anybody from being in favor of sensible gun reform. And there's a great- Do you have a hunting gun or a-, a I have a Glock 19. I have, do not hunt. I have a, uh, a semi-automatic pistol, an assault weapon, so to speak. Why? Uh, I, whack, I used to investigate cocaine trafficking and I was concerned about the possibility um, internationally that, that it seemed crazy, but I thought I, I want to learn how to use a gun get familiar with it, put it in a safe and then not see it again for another, you know, for another five years till I want to take it out and shoot it. And that's pretty much uh, the way it's been. I, I'm become proficient at it, but it's not something I, I do regularly go shoot the gun. Right. Uh, but I think, I think the Parkland movement did inspire a youth movement, but also other people are inspired. The parents, Fred Gutenberg of uh, who lost his daughter, Jamie there. So I think it's now a multi-generational movement that both Sandy Hook and then Parkland, and I wouldn't forget Columbine, and all the other shootings, including Uvalde, so many shootings, right? School shootings and others. But finally, we have a critical mass. We have a movement that I think finally is making progress. And I think that is something. Another thing, Andrew, the Parkland effect, if you want to call it that, also was what precipitated the NRA's crisis, because it shook up. That the, the response, the March for Our Lives in 2018, shook the foundations of the NRA so much when they were losing all those sponsors, they decided they needed a strong voice. So who did they pick? Oliver North, a longtime, relatively longtime board member to be their next, next president, which is really a pulpit post, but it's important. And then he got in and he turned out to be a straighter shooter than maybe people imagine. Yeah. Once he saw the books, he blew the whistle and said, hey, this is wrong. There's embezzlement going on, right? He did that. Oliver North doesn't like to talk about it now, but he's the whistleblower there. And if it weren't for Parkland, that never would have come to light. So we need to credit the Parkland students with two things, motivating a multi-generational movement or contributing to that development over time and uh, triggering us literally being the, what pushed the last domino over in the NRA to put them in their own in their own cesspool of an embezzlement scandal that and is speaking of cesspools, Frank, um, should we celebrate the Alex Jones situation? And do we need more of these kind of yeah. cases yeah. in the law courts against peddlers of, of, of nonsense like Jones? Absolutely. He deserved, he deserved the, the weight of the, of the judgments against him. He made those families, including siblings, suffer through claiming that their brother or their sister that died was somehow false, right? To spread that kind of, uh, that kind of hateful uh, claims that really had a real life impact on these people. Uh, if anything, it should have happened quicker than it did. But I think that's another victory that, uh, that leaves gun reformers with something to, to take stock in and, and, and to, be, to be not pleased about, but be satisfied that some measure of justice was finally attained. Excellent.